Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. So today is day two of teachers returning to work in most of the Acadian area. I know that they are back at work. They're doing their in-services and everything here in Lafayette Parish. They have been today. Uh, same with those in St. Landry Parish. Now, I have friends in Lafayette Parish, so I know they've been back at work. My wife is a teacher in St. Landry, and I know that she's been back at work because I have been a stay-at-home dad for the past two days, and that is... uh, that I love my children. It's time for them to go back to school. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that a lot of you feel the same way. I don't feel terribly guilty about saying that. I do love my children. I love spending time with my children. But uh, it, it is time for them to go back to school. And uh, they are currently, because of just the way schedules have had to work out today, they are currently uh, sitting in the room next to the studio and I'm letting computer screens babysit my children. Please, please do not judge me too much for that. But that is certainly the case right now uh, that I'm letting screens babysit my kids. Now, I say all that. I bring up the education stuff because there was news that came out yesterday. And we ended up talking about the uh, the Trump indictment uh, all day yesterday, which is fine. I kind of planned on that, but there was news that came out yesterday that I kind of wanted to get to, but I knew I would have a chance to get to today. So state testing scores have come out and Lafayette Parish is in the top 10 in the state for students achieving mastery on the leap test, which is good. It's fantastic. The schools in the area have done a great job. There's been a lot of growth among Lafayette Parish schools. Um, early college Academy, had something like 90-something percent mastery, but you would expect that out of ECA. But there were a lot of schools that did very well. Southside, David Thibodeau, uh, in the high school level, Myrtle Place had uh, the top performance of uh, in terms of students getting mastery in the LEAP test of our elementary and middle schools. So, I mean, just a lot of great performance all around by our schools in Lafayette Parish. But we are at the beginning of the school year. Uh, We are looking very much at what is coming this year because we're still we're still facing a lot of educational challenges. We have this testing that's gone on. We we have uh we we have these scores that are in. We're gonna be getting school scores, school report cards shortly, I believe. I'm not exactly sure when, or maybe they are public already and I've just missed it. But we're going to have all of that come out. And then next week, kids are reporting back to their classrooms. Again, cannot come soon enough. But one thing that we really still need to talk about, and I say this as somebody who spent a lot of time in the classroom. Oh, dear God, Moon Grafana has discovered my children. Oh, dear. I'm going to have to do a, I'm going to have to get them into counseling. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Sorry. So we have so we we have these these tests. And I, I've talked about the tests. I spent years in the classroom. We we have these standardized tests that happen every year. And I've made the point over and over again that one of the things that I really wish our education would do a better job of is emphasizing growth over mastery. 
Now, again, it's f- phenomenal what happened here in Lafayette Parish. But part of the issue that I have is having dealt with a lot of students who came in very behind. Kids with learning disabilities, kids on the spectrum, kids who had deficiencies, and oftentimes kids who were just passed through the system. There are a lot of kids who were not totally prepared for mastery. They didn't come in at a mastery level from their previous year. Maybe they came in at approaching basic or at the lower end of basic, and they need a lot more help. There are some kids who would score an unsatisfactory, and they still need to go back and retest to show they know those skills sufficiently enough to move on to the next level. My concern is kind of the same concern that a lot of people had over the Common Core standards. And, and I, I, never, I never publicly blasted the Common Core standards when they were adopted because it's kind of a, it's, it's a lot more nuanced an issue than a lot of the folks talking about it made it out to be. Because when you say the word standards, people get very defensive. The problem with the Common Core standards was not, was not the content. I mean, the, the standards don't actually relate to a whole lot of content other than these are the basic skills and knowledge you need to have. You need to be able to explain these things. The problem is that the Common Core standards were arranged in such a way that you would get basic mastery of these concepts, and and the whole process was meant to churn out worker bees more than educated, free-thinking children. That's one of the reasons it was endorsed by groups like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They were working to build up a workforce. They weren't really looking out for the academic uh, enlightenment of children. And that's always my problem when we look at outcome-based rather than growth-based achievement on testing. I want to know that a kid has done everything they can and gotten as far as they can by the time they get out of high school. And that may look completely different kid to kid. Ideally, we can get every kid to mastery. There are some kids who simply are not there. And it's unfair to those kids for them to not be counted as academically successful because they didn't get a mastery or advanced on a standardized test. And the education system, not just here, but across the country, the education system really needs to take a closer look at growth-based outcomes. A lot of the people against it call it lowering the bar. They they say that it, it's... It's taking away, um, it's, yeah, the lowering the bar thing. We're lowering the bar to make everybody feel happier about it. We're rewarding failure, stuff like that. It's not the case. And it kind of irritates me at that. Uh, Jeff Landry kind of jumped into that discussion over a recent action by the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education. Uh, jumped into it called the maneuvers kind of lowering the, the, the bar. And that's not fair because there are a lot of kids who simply will not achieve that bar. Having worked 
with a lot of those kids. I'll look at a kid who goes from an unsatisfactory score or an approaching basic score to a basic or a high basic, not even if they you know achieve mastery, but if they show a ton of growth on one of those standardized tests, in my mind, that's a victory. In my mind, that kid has just done the impossible. They have managed to push themselves further than they ever have pushed before. And then that's something you can build on for the next year. They come in as a basic the next year. They show they have the potential to continue growing. Then you can work toward pushing them toward a mastery. But there are some kids that are coming into some schools or some school systems that have just been passed along. And the other thing that really is a bother here is for the teachers. Teachers will be punished not like fired or anything, but teacher, teachers get bad marks. They get bad scores if they have a number of kids who don't achieve that level of mastery, if they don't have kids that achieve certain levels. Now, they have uh, student growth uh, goals. They have learning targets, things that help students, that, that helps kind of set the pacing but if everybody's focused on mastery and advance, if everybody's focused on making sure that you're at that certain level, what about the kids that come in who are unsatisfactory or approaching basic and they, they grow a little bit? They don't, maybe they don't grow much, but they grow a little bit. They show growth. They show learning. Should a teacher really be held responsible because a kid who has passed along for so long shows some growth but doesn't achieve that level of, doesn't get that level of achievement? This to me is one of the problems that I, this is always kind of going back to one of the problems I've had with standardized testing the way it's been portrayed. Now, we have, we have scales, we have ways to show that growth, and we, we've started making the move to where growth is getting a little more emphasis than achievement. But with the news that came out yesterday, we are celebrating, yay, however many students achieve mastery. What I really want to know is what place did Lafayette Parish or did any other district come in in terms of growth? How did Lafayette Parish push its kids along? I would love to see that number. I would love to see the breakdown of the scores. I'm sure I can find it once every, every bit of information is publicly available. Yesterday, all we saw really were the masteries. But when the full scores and everything come out and they're, they're all made public, we can see a little bit more. How do we do in terms of growing? How do we do in terms of pushing our kids? And that's not saying anything bad about LPSS. LPSS, I'm sure, is doing very fine with this. Having worked in the system, I know they do a lot that they can to make that happen. But I really want to see that shift in emphasis. I really want to see going forward that we are celebrating. We had a certain percentage of kids grow. They, we had kids who were in this one category, they were not showing much uh, growth at all. And then this past year, we really knocked it out of the park. We moved a ton of kids out of the unsatisfactory category into approaching basic. We turned a, a bunch of approaching basic kids to the basic level. We pushed kids further than they ever have been pushed before. That, to me, is a way, way better measure of success. And to me, that's fairer for the kids. But I still, like anybody, I want to see all of our kids be super successful. I want to see more of those masteries too. 
but that growth's important. All right, let's take a break. 232-1542. Send a message through the app chat, however you want to get in touch. We'll have some conversations here after this break. If you're looking for more great conservative content throughout the day, why don't you head on over to my site, redstate.com. I'm a senior editor over there, and I work with a lot of great conservatives, putting out a lot of great news and opinion each and every day. Plus, if you use my name, Joe, as the promo code, you can subscribe with a discount to our VIP section where you'll get a ton more great content that you won't find anywhere else. Check out redstate.com today. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. So this morning, NPR sent out a tweet. Now, it's actually on a story I mentioned to you guys the other day. Actually, I think I first mentioned it when I was sitting in on the board for Moon. Whoop. Sorry about that. That shouldn't have automatically played. Uh, but I want to... I, <laughs> this, to me, is just kind of indicative of where we are. I mentioned, you know, you, you heard me do the weather update before my show, uh, that it's unacceptably hot. And it is. And you should be drinking plenty of water. So NPR has this story this morning. And they tweeted this story out too. Here's the opening. It's hot. And apparently some don't mind it that way. The latest heat wave is fueled by human-caused climate change from burning fossil fuels, despite the settled science, the overwhelming evidence, and the billions of dollars in increases for disaster preparation and recovery that climate change is costing the country. Republicans have grown more skeptical of the need to prioritize fixing it, according to the latest NPR-PBS NewsHour Marist poll. Let me tell you of a story from a year ago. The New York Times documented this in September of last year, but in January of last year, there was a volcanic eruption in the Pacific. I don't know if you remember the story. The Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'apai volcanic eruption in the Pacific Ocean sent a shockwave that circled the entire planet. The New York Times wrote that, quote, it may cause a small short-term spike in global warming, scientists said Thursday. Scientific papers from all over noted that the water vapor would linger in the air for a few years and cause a bout of warming unrelated to climate change. This eruption was in January 15th, 2022. Here we are a year and a half later, which is within, according to my math, although to be fair, I'm not a math guy, uh, a year and a half is within that a few years mark in those scientific papers. So the heat wave that we're experiencing right now could very well be a result of that volcanic eruption that every scientific paper acknowledged would probably happen. And yet, you know what you're not hearing from NPR or any of these other media outlets right now? That there's a bunch of water vapor that's still in our atmosphere from a volcanic eruption a year and a half ago that was going to, that was predicted to cause a heat wave. The climate change alarmists 
they're they're lying to you. They're just kind of making this stuff up as they go. Yes, it's hot, but we knew it was going to be hot. All right, taking a quick break. We'll be back in a moment here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Hey, this is Joe Cunningham, and you're listening to the podcast version of my daily radio show. Now, if you want to listen live, all you need to do is download the KPL News app to your phone. You can listen live every weekday from 3 to 4 p.m. and communicate with the show using the app's chat feature. So go over to your app store, download the KPL News app, and listen to my show every day from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 is the number if you want to call in or you can send a message through the KPL app chat. Uh, take part of the conversation that way. So I want to go back to the the environmental thing before the break because this, this to me is, it, it's pretty clear that the media is engaged. I mean, well, I say it's clear the media is engaged in activism. We've known that for a long time. But the environmental activism is... I, I, so part of it is, uh, you know, there there are media outlets out there that have uh, reporters, climate reporters, and their jobs are funded by climate change organizations. So there's already a, a skew there. But... The media has really jumped on board with the environmentalism thing. And part of it is because of the progressivism and, and the whole, the, the whole, you know, leftism is environmentalism and, and back and forth and all that. But environmentalism is the easiest way to get some of those fear and paranoia ratings and page views and things like that. I mean, what is what is sexier for a doom headline than the world's heating up? It's super hot. We're all going to die. It's climate change. It's global warming, all that stuff. I'm pretty sure the climate's changing. The climate has changed over and over throughout the history of the world. Fact of the matter is, climate change has been around longer than humans. To the extent that humans might be affecting the climate, there may be something there. But a lot of studies will tell you that global temperatures are up two degrees Fahrenheit from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution began in the 1800s. Now, again, I'm not a math guy, but that's, uh, that's a couple hundred years ago. What's more, do you know when the Industrial Revolution began? At the end of a little ice age. It is commonly accepted that prior to that moment in history, the Earth was actually in a cooling stage. We were at the end of a little ice age there. Things were generally colder. And here we are now. Things are generally warmer. They've they've raised, oh my God, two degrees in the last 200 years. I understand that the climate that that not the climate that uh, life on Earth is very sensitive. 
very slight changes can have massive effects on ecology. That's not really debatable. There's always that question that goes around if you could get rid of one species of it or, or one yeah, one species, uh, what would it be? And everybody says mosquitoes, and then there's somebody who comes in like, well, do you know just how much damage would it would cause if mosquitoes didn't exist? Fair point. Mosquitoes are still annoying as hell. As are a lot of the climate of alarmists. And they're also pretty much soul sucking. But anyway, uh a slight shift. In climate, in all sorts of things, can cause a lot of damage to species, the ecology, everything like that. What the environmentalists refuse to say is that our carbon output is actually lower than it has been in a very long time. See, because even though we moved away from the Paris Climate Accords, we're still keeping to those standards better than the other countries around the world, those who are in it and other developed nations. You don't hear the environmentalists talk a whole lot about China. China is where we get a lot of the minerals and a lot of the materials that we need for our electric vehicles. The amount of poison that gets dumped into the environment for drilling for those elements and minerals and materials is staggering. And yet, they don't say anything about China. They don't say anything about the pollution put out in China. You don't hear a whole lot about the smog-covered cities in China. The Chinese government doesn't care. The Chinese government is developing, 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 developing. They're trying to push themselves. They are pushing their economy. They are pushing their way to development because they want to compete with the West. The environmentalists say nothing about that. The environmentalists are always focused on America. What can we in America do? Oh my gosh, it's the hottest summer ever. Everything's doomed. One thing people are talking about right now, one thing that people want to know about right now is the fact that the Gulf Stream could disappear. Have you heard that? The Gulf Stream could collapse. The Gulf Stream could go away. It's really overblown. What they're talking about is the AMOC, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, the thing that causes the Gulf Stream, causes a lot of these currents in the ocean. It could collapse. That's what's got the climate environmentalists all shook up right now, except they say it could happen as early as 2025 or as far away as 2050. And it's all because of climate change, all because of this heat. But remember the Tonga eruption from a year and a half ago. Sent a bunch of water vapor into the air. That alone had the potential to raise 
the Earth's temperatures for a while because of how much water vapor and steam was thrown into the air and is trapped in our atmosphere. So if by 2025 all that water vapor kind of dissipates as it's expected to and temperatures start to drop a little bit and the AMOC doesn't collapse and the Gulf Stream doesn't disappear, what's the next emergency? This is a, it's an annoying problem because the climate environmentalists have all their friends in the media and the media goes out and they rush out with the headlines. I mean, we've got one from two days ago, NBC News, climate collapse debate reinvigorated by study of Atlantic Ocean currents. Climate change could collapse a key Atlantic Ocean current. Gulf Stream could collapse as early as 2025. Sorry. That's just doom reading. That's just finding the headlines that spell out certain doom. And that's really not the case for what's going to happen. What they're saying is that there's a bunch of cold water entering the Atlantic because Greenland is rapidly melting. The Gulf Stream, which is a, basically a conveyor belt for warm waters that moderates Europe's climate, among other things, they're saying that that influx of cold water, that will actually collapse the Gulf Stream. The reports are conflating two different ocean currents, though. The AMOC and the Gulf Stream aren't the same thing. But everybody hears about the AMOC and they assume that the Gulf Stream is going to collapse. They're not the same thing. It's like comparing a superhighway with a side street, according to one scientist. There's zero chance the Gulf Stream is actually going to collapse. But all the environmentalist reporters are out there telling you the Gulf Stream is about to collapse by 2025. It could, it, it's over. We're, we're, we're going to, Europe is going to enter an ice age because that warm water is not going to be flowing through the Gulf Stream and, and, and keeping things relatively warm and safe in Europe. Economic, uh, environmental catastrophe. But no, it's not actually going to happen. That's, that's not the case. But there's such, a pan there's such a need to write the panic that we get this false information out there. And then we get told by NPR and others that we're ignoring the, the settled science. The settled science is lying about what the hell is about to happen. And yet here we are. You and I are called anti-science because we don't believe what the climate change alarmists are saying. And yet, every, I don't know, every six, seven years or so, the environmental scientists come out and say it'll be in another six years. That's, de that's definitely it. Meanwhile, that was the year everything was supposed to come to an end. Every six years, we get told that about six years from now, we're doomed. At some point, at some point, 
somebody needs to sit these these folks down and say enough's enough. All right, before we take our final break of the day, let's hop over to the phone lines. Hi, welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Who's on the line? Hello, my name's Bill. Hey, Bill, how are you? All right. Um, actually, you know, the, the Gulf Stream didn't always exist. That started when the Isthmus of Panama was created, mm-hmm. when North and South America joined. Yeah. Um, if the Gulf Stream does stop, and it is possible, because, I mean, they theorize that's what happened, which caused the last ice age or some, something like that. Yeah. But they won't have to worry about global warming. It will be global cooling. Mm-hmm. Which I would so, take I mean, I right I, now. What's that? Which I would take right now because I don't want to walk back outside when the show's over. Right. I agree. I agree. So what's so bad about that? You know, what's so bad about a little global warming? Because you know what? Plants love poor carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Crops will go crazy. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. right. Thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. All right, let's take this final break. Of course, your calls, your messages, too. We'll get to all that here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Wrap up. After this break, right here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. You know, in case you miss any show, you can always go back and listen. They aren't lost forever once you listen to them. But I do have a request. If you guys listen to The Joe Cunningham Show and you like what you're listening to, go to your podcast app, wherever you're listening to this from, and give the podcast a rating and a review. That helps get the podcast out in front of more eyes so that we can help the show grow. Thanks again for listening to The Joe Cunningham Show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can send a message through the KPEL app if you want to, like Mike did. Humans have adapted to climate change. There have been a... Dozens of glacial events over the last few hundred thousand years. And during most of that time, we didn't have Ford F-250s. And Mike is right. But I also want to note something else. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Because this actually, thank you for bringing that up, Mike, because I wanted to get to this if we had time here at the end of the day. A Ford dealer in the Midwest has to have a certain number of electric vehicles on the lot. Problem is, power company cannot get enough power out there to run the electric charger. So how is this Ford dealer in the Midwest dealing with this problem? He's wheeled out a diesel generator to run power to the electric vehicle chargers so that his dealership can keep electric vehicles charged on the lot. I don't know any other way to accurately explain the nonsense that goes into what the environmentalists are calling for here than that story. We don't have the capability to transition everyone over to electric vehicles. We don't have the power grid for for it. We don't have the infrastructure for it. And yet that's what they want. They want to make you buy Really expensive cars, cars you can't afford. Plug them up at home using power that the power supplies, that the uh, the the power stations can't provide you. 
and somehow that will save the environment. It really is just nonsensical. All right, that's it from me. It'll be 23 hours until I'm back. We'll wrap up the week tomorrow with your news and analysis, as always. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, email Joe at RedState.com. The podcast version of the show will go live in just a couple of minutes. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do listen to the podcast version, please leave a rating and review. That helps kind of get the podcast out in front of a whole bunch of eyes so we can grow our audience and have a lot more fun here on The Joe Cunningham Show. Shannon, as always, is very offside, and he's up next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.